with these hands extended, uh, we are telling you that we are ready to receive from your Spirit. Um, your Word is truth, and your Word is life, and your Word is light. And I pray this morning that that Word would come over us and move among us and be part of us. So now, Father, may this Word uh, do its work among us, among your people. May the, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. We're beginning a <clears throat> brand new series today entitled Facing Your Fears. I think most people have at least one serious fear of the future. The kind of fear that fills us with anxiety or some terror or others even worse than that. And the question that we'll be asking through this series is, what are your fears? You read the newspaper, uh, you read online news, or you read uh, the newspaper in print the way God intended it, you know, with the newspaper in front. Yeah, yeah, I know, yeah. You read the newspaper and you recognize that there are some very fear-filled things going on in our world, realities. In fact, um, I'm not a big fan of uh, the news stations, and depending on your persuasion, uh, Fox News or CNN, but if you go to either one of those sites and you watch for any length of time, uh, it's really interesting what they do. There's always something scrolling at the bottom, and it's always something about fear. Alert! You know, You've got, don't go to the bathroom, don't get a beer, don't do anything. Stay right here because we're going to tell you something that you've never heard before. Of course, you have, but, and, and there's, don't, you know, and there's always this sense of, oh, you've got to pay attention, you've got to listen to this, and, and it's all based on fear. But there is a lot to be afraid of, I will admit. ISIS, uh, this uh, grotesque, evil um, movement, the beheadings, it's beyond comprehension, really. Our global economy, uh, what's happening in street violence, I and mean, we've seen that recently in Henderson, Missouri. Human trafficking, uh, as much as we're fighting it every day, uh, it's still taking root deeper and deeper in our society. The border crisis, the AIDS epidemic, and a new epidemic, uh, that came out of West Africa. It's interesting. I wrote this message a week ago Wednesday before we went on vacation. So about 10 days ago, I wrote this. And when I wrote it, here's what I put in my notes. We had our first diagnosis of Ebola in the United States. That was just 10 days ago. And now look what's happening. It's no wonder we're afraid. Uh, by the way, uh, if you're a first-time visitor to Hope, uh, welcome. Uh, we hope that you're going to have a good time today. You know, uh, it's going to be a lot of fun, right? And have a good time. These fears now, for many, lead to a life of crisis, and for those who turn it positively, really a life of transformation. When you face fears and you deal with them, you either find yourself in crisis or in transformation. We're afraid for ourselves. Let's be very honest. We're afraid of death. We're afraid for our families. We're certainly afraid for our children. Sherry and I pray for our grandchildren by name every day, 
And it's not out of fear, but there's always in the back of our mind, what, do our kid, what are our kids going to see in 20 or 30 years? We're afraid. We stock up food and generators. If we had basements, we'd put them there. Otherwise, we'd just store them in the garage. We stock up on things that we think will keep us sustained when the world goes awry. We insulate our kids from reality. Or, like so many of us and so many of our parents, we flee to the suburbs trying to escape uh, the blight of the inner city. And uh, this has been going on for 40 years now. A leading psychiatrist by the name of Marcia Reynolds who's the author of a book entitled The Discomfort Zone. She says that a crisis of fear arises when we can't answer these basic human questions. And these are the, now this is not a Christian authoress, but these questions that arise are Christian questions. Here's the question she said that we can't answer when we're fearful. Number one, who am I? Number two, what purpose am I meant to fulfill? And number three, what will it take for me to feel contentment? Those are the three questions that the Bible addresses about life as well. So how would you answer those questions yourself? What is your level of fear? What's your fear factor in your life? A few months ago, we did a series of messages after Easter on what is your hope factor. And many of you gained hope from that because the Word of God has much to say about hope. But the other side of that is, what is your fear factor? We're going to be facing our fears in this series. And today, we're going to be facing our fear of the future. Um, when we first started uh, Hope, at least when I first came back in 2000 over in the strip mall, we had this couple, Herb and Lila Stromquist. And now, Herb is still with us. He lives in a, a trailer park out in East Mesa. And uh, half of the year he spends in Minnesota with his family and the other half here. And he always comes to see us in October a couple of Sundays and it's always good to have him here. But Herb and Lila, uh, I mean, 15 years ago, uh, Lila was already in her mid-80s. I mean, her, I think Herb is like 97 years old now, doing very well. Anyway, they used to come to church and uh, Lila would say, she said to me this one day, she said, you know what, I'm 85 years old and I'm not afraid to die. But the reality is, I just never buy green bananas. So here was a, a woman who had good thought processes and recognized that, you know what, life is very short and we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. George Barna did another survey, a poll really, about what is the number one fear of Americans and the number one fear is always the same. I'm afraid of what the future holds. I'm afraid of what the future holds. Since 1998, there have been 37 movies made about the end of times. Since 1998. The 20 years before that, one movie was made about the end times. People are afraid that we are hurtling quickly, rapidly towards some climax, towards some endings, towards some cataclysmic event that will simply stop life as we know it. Charles Kettering once said, my interest is in the future because I'm going to spend the rest of my life there. Now that makes a lot of sense to me. We want to be interested in the future because all of us will spend the rest of our life there. So if you have your um, outlines and you'd like to follow along, turn in your outlines and let me begin by giving you really three quick reasons why the future scares us, okay? Uh, these are from Scripture. These are reasons why we're not real excited about the future, okay? The first is this, because life is so uncertain. Because life is so uncertain. Uh, Proverbs 27.1 says, Don't brag about tomorrow, 
since you don't know what that day will bring. Don't brag about tomorrow since you don't know what that day will bring. We simply don't know what is going to happen tomorrow. Now, we have this amazing information explosion age that we are in. Uh, it's, it's just incredible. Uh, someone said that a 16-year-old Kenya boy now has more information at his fingertips than the President of the United States did 15 years ago. We are in an age that is unlike any other. And we know that everything is uncertain. Everything is changing all the time. Now, we have a lot of knowledge, more knowledge than we've ever had in our lives. Knowledge is multiplying. They said three times the amount of knowledge every year. We get, there's available to us three times more knowledge than we had a year ago. So it's incredible what's happening. But when it comes tomorrow, when it comes to understanding tomorrow, knowing tomorrow, expecting what's going to happen tomorrow, none of us has the answer. None of us knows what's going to happen tomorrow. Now there's a second reason that the future scares us, and it's because life is constantly changing. It's in flux. Think about the last hundred years. <laughs> What has happened in our world in the last 100 years? All the changes we have seen. My grandmother uh, passed away in 1994. Uh, she was 95 years old. She was born on Christmas Eve, 1899. And she almost made touching three uh, uh, centuries. But the things that she saw in her life since 1899 to when she died in 1995 was phenomenal. But what has seen in our world since 1995 to 2014 is so vastly beyond that, we can't even begin to explain it. I mean, just a couple weeks ago, the new, um, the new iPhones came out, right? How many of those iPhones were sold? Anybody read the paper? 60 million. One in four Americans, maybe some people bought more than one, of course, but one in four Americans, there was enough phones bought in, one in, four, in the first week. It's unbelievable. Our life is constantly changing. What will tomorrow bring? And the, the third reason that the future scares us is because life is uncontrollable. We simply can't control it. Um, will I have a job tomorrow? Can I pay the bills? Am I going to stay married? Are my kids going to be successful? How am I going to take care of my aging parents? Um, uh, am I going to be robbed? We had a woman in our church a few weeks ago, Linda Skeins, who her house was robbed and vandalized. Her car was vandalized. and We don't know how these things are going to happen, but they happen around us. People are being mugged and raped. Is 9-11 going to happen again? Is ISIS going to get bigger than it is? Uh, all these things make you hair, pull your hair out. And you can see I've been worried by how much hair I have. Now, now that you're depressed, let's stand for closing prayer. No, uh, and let, me let me give you some really good news today, really good news from God's Word, and here's, here's the good news. You don't have to fear the future. Now, I want you to say that out loud with me. I want you to say, I don't have to fear the future. Let's say it together. I don't have to fear the future. Now, can you say it like you mean it? I don't have to fear the future. Let me share with you four fear busters from God's Word. The first one is this. God says, He will be with me in my future. God says, I will be with you in your present, and I will be with you 
in your future. God says the one thing that you'll never have to fear is facing the future alone. His presence, his companionship, his friendship, the Almighty God has promised he will never, ever lead you, leave you alone. So Moses goes up on Mount Sinai. Those of you who've been around the Bible know that story. And he goes up there, and he meets the very presence of God, a theophanies, the Shekinah glory, the presence of God in this burning bush. And uh, the voice of God comes from that bush and tells him to take his shoes off. Good idea when you're in the presence of God. Takes his shoes off. He comes up, and, and he says, well, who are you? And God says, I am that I am. Well, that's kind of a weird name. What does that mean? I am that I am. Who are you, God? He says, I am that I am. It's translated from Jehovah, Yahweh. I am that I am. Well, what does that mean? Well, that name means simply this. I am with you. The very name of God says, I am with you. I will never leave you alone. You will always be with me. So after Moses died, uh, Joshua is going to carry on the, the work of the Israelites And here's what God said to Joshua when he was fearful. He said, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. That means you, Tamara, and you, Karen. That means you, Steve. That means you, David. God says, I will never, ever, ever leave you nor forsake you. Now, he reiterated that truth in the New Testament in Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 and 6, when he said, I'll never let you down. I'll never walk off and leave you. I'll never walk off and leave you. Maybe you've heard the story about the old pilot who was, he had fun flying his old uh, twin jet plane carrying passengers. He made him pay a little money to get this exciting trip. So he'd take about 16 passengers up, and uh, he had this twin propeller old plane, and one of the propellers went out, and the people were kind of worried, and then the other propeller went out, and it starts to slowly start descending, and the pilot comes out of the cockpit, and he's got a parachute on. He said, don't worry, folks. I'm going for help, and he jumps out of the plane. (laughs) Listen, God will never bail on you, ever. Sometimes it feels like it. Sometimes it feels like God is not around. Where are you, God? Where are you? But God promises, I will never bail out on you. God knows the future, and he promises he will always be with us in our future. Now, we've all had people that have bailed on us. We've all had times when we felt abandoned or alone. It's a, it's a terrible feeling, but his promise is absolutely true. I will never let you down. I will never walk off and leave you. There's a second promise from God, and it's this. God says he will guide me when I'm confused. God says he will guide me when I'm confused. So I, I finish up my... Um, college work in the spring of 1970, getting a degree in mechanical design engineering. And about two weeks after that, uh, I met Sherry in February, so we were already getting ready to be married in August. And 
uh, everything, a lot of things were happening in my life, but I had this sense, this kind of dis-ease in me that says that you're supposed to go into the ministry. And I could tell you the whole long story sometime, ask me, and I'll be happy to tell you. But So here I am with this fresh degree, and I've got a great job, by the way, at the same time at, at, at Chemtronics in Santee, California. I've got this great job. I've got this degree. My career is set. Everything's good. My father, future father-in-law is happy because I'm going to take care of his daughter. But I was so unsettled. I believed that God wanted ministry for me that made no sense whatsoever. Why would I finish a degree in engineering and then go into the ministry? It made no sense to me, or especially my future father-in-law. It made no sense to anybody. I said, God, I need your help. And he didn't speak to me in an audible voice. That God doesn't usually work with me in that way, but there was the sense that I needed to go out on a limb to take a chance, to take a risk. And so I, I took a leave of absence from my job, and I became a part-time youth pastor at $150 a month. And, uh, and I said, Lord, for the next year, I just want you to lead me and guide me and direct me. Open doors, close doors, do whatever. But I need to know, I need your guidance because this is a life decision I don't want to get wrong. And by the end of the year, God had confirmed in my life that ministry was what he had for me. Life can really confuse us. I don't know what your future holds, but I know this. All of us are going to be bombarded with challenges and decisions. Things will get more complex in your life, and in many cases, there won't be any easy answers. When those times come, where are you going to turn for help? I mean, fortune cookies, the horoscope, psychic hotline, Oprah, or Dr. Phil. You know, um, Jean Dixon, she's dead now, but she was the big uh, guru of prognostication back in the 60s and 70s. And, and uh, of course, there was always talk about Nostradamus and all of these prophets. So here's somebody to study on all of these people that made predictions about the future, made prophecies. They're on average 6% right. Six out of 100 times they're right. And they did a, a, a kind of a, a test on a four-year-old kid, and that four-year-old kid was right four times out of 100 in making predictions. You know, it's just not that, just, it's not that complicated. People don't know the future. No one does, except God. He's the only infallible and reliable source for the future because God already knows everything that's going to happen. God's not limited by time or space. God sees the future already. God never says, what a surprise. I didn't see that coming. God never says that. God says in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, some of you live by this passage, trust in the Lord with all your heart, right? And lean not on your own understanding. You're saying it with me as I'm reading it. In your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. What a tremendous promise that he gives to his children. God says, I will be with you. I'll keep you on track. I'll give, keep you on the straight path. If we do these three things, if we trust, if we lean not, and if we acknowledge, well, what does trust mean? Trust means to throw ourselves into his arms. Literally, the word means to lean into, to rely on, to depend on. To lean into, to rely on, to depend on. Trust in the Lord. Lean into him. Depend on him. And he will always help you. I believe, I believe that God will always act in my best interest. Always. As most of you have stories of times in your life when it didn't make any sense whatsoever, and you just simply had to trust God. I mean, today is um, 
Our son Tyler's would, be, would have been his 35th birthday. October 12, 1979, he was born. He was killed on October 19, 1989, ten, just seven days after his 10th birthday. Well, today would be his birthday, and what that does for Sherry and I is bring us some joy remembering we look at pictures, but it brings us a lot of sadness and sorrow. But, but here's one thing that was absolutely consistent in our lives from 1979 until today. God says, I'll never leave you alone. I know this is painful beyond you can, what you can imagine. And most of you as parents are saying, I can't imagine that. No, you can't. Uh, some of you have, have experienced the loss of a child. You know what that's like. But, but there's nothing you can do to say it's going to be okay because it's not going to be okay. But here's God's promise. I will never leave you alone. I'll always be with you. In all of your pain, in all of your suffering, he, he, God says, you just need to do one thing. Trust me. Trust me. If you, if you, as the old song used to say, if you can't trace my hand, what? Trust my heart. If you can't see what I'm doing, if you can't see how I'm doing it, I understand that because I'm infinite and you're finite. But if you can't see what's going on because I see everything and you don't, trust my heart, God says. Trust that I, I love you and that I'm going to do the best for you. And, and Tyler's going to be okay in heaven. Trust me. Trust me. That's what he says. Trust me. But that verse also says then, besides stress, it says, lean not. Lean not on your own understanding means I don't try and understand and solve everything on my own power. And if you want an exhausting and frustrating future, go the way of Frank Sinatra and do it my way, you know? We've got to trust God's vision. We've got to trust God's heart. We've got to trust that he, what he sees behind us is always more than what we see in front of us. What God sees going on all around us is much more and much greater and much broader scope than everything that we see in front of us. Back in the 1800s, there was this Belgian monk. His name was Walter Denham. And he would walk around the very dark and cold abbey at night, and on his worn-out sandals, he would put a candle on each of his sandals. And he did that so that he would actually live out what the Bible says, that God says, I will make a light unto your path, right? I will make a light unto your path and an illumination unto your feet. And the promise is this. God says, I'm not going to tell you what's in the future. I mean, we know some things are in the future. Just read your Bible. Read Revelation. You know some things that are in the future. But God says, I'm not going to tell you what's in your personal future. But I will tell you this. I'll show you just some light in front of your feet. Just take a step towards me. Walk, take one step towards Jesus. Take a step towards Christ. And, and he says, I'll show you another step and another step. And I st We can't lean on our own understanding, but we trust in God. And then the last part of that great verse is acknowledge him. To acknowledge him means literally to pay attention to him. One of the great acts of faith is paying attention to God. We do that in worship. We do that in our personal time in reading the Bible and in prayer. We do that in quiet moments when we're with the Lord. We simply pay attention to God. G.K. Chesterton said that one of the greatest things we can do is think magnificently of God. Think magnificently of God. We acknowledge Him. We literally pay attention to God. That is no, no fear living. From Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, that is no fear living living. Now the next promise God gives us is amazing and it's this. God says he will support me when I'm overwhelmed. I hope you believe that because if you have not been overwhelmed or if you're not overwhelmed right now, you will be. God says he will support me when I'm overwhelmed. Now notice that 
I didn't say if I'm overwhelmed. Life for all of us at different times is overwhelming. I mean, I was just, as I was writing this message, I thought about a year ago. Uh, a year ago, our church was in turmoil because uh, three people in our fellowship, actually two plus one that was connected to us, died a year ago. Cindy Barton, went to be, all of these happened in early September of last year. Uh, Mike George and Trey Bell, uh, Jim and Madonna's son. And all three of them died. And I, and I remember what I, I, see, that was around my birthday. And I remember at my birthday celebration, I was called out to go over because Cindy was uh, just passing away right at that moment. And all these things were going on. And, and I remember thinking, Lord, how are we going to ever overcome this? But here's the promise. And I made this promise to you earlier because God made this promise. He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. When you're in the, a time, a, a place of being overwhelmed, I will never leave you or forsake you. Now, how can I prove that? I can prove that right now if you want me to. Just go and talk to Rusty Barton and see what God is doing in his life. Has, God, has he rejected God because God took his wife? No. Uh, go and talk to Jana George. She comes to second service. Go and talk to Jim and Madonna Bell. And see what, what they would say to you about God's presence with them. When you are overwhelmed, God has promised, I will always be with you. Listen to Isaiah 42, 1 to 3. This is the word of God for you. It says, don't be afraid because I have saved you. I have called you by name. Let that one soak into your heart. God says, I have called you by name. He knows your name. And you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you cross rivers, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned, nor will the flames hurt you. This is because I, the Lord, am your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. God won't let anything overwhelm you. The strength that I need will come when I need it. That's God's promise to you. The strength that I need will come when I need it. I remember uh, the night uh, that Tyler was killed, laying in bed, sleepless all night. Sherry spent most of the night just sobbing, of course. And, and I remember tossing and turning. And, and I got up and I started reading in Psalm 30, and it talks about the darkness of the night. Have you ever been there? I'm sure you have. The darkness of the night that there's this pain and this um, depression, there's this, this sense of blackness, and you're going into this hole, this dark place, and you don't know how to, give up, get, up to get out of it. Psalm 30. But then after that, it, here's what the psalmist said. After there's darkness in the night, um, the sunshine, the light comes in the morning. The light comes in the morning. Lamentations 3.23 said, God's mercies are new every morning. There's one last promise from God as we face our future, and it's this. God says he will work all things out for my good and his glory. Now, you may not know this, but God has a plan for your future. It's all over the Scripture. Listen to a couple of them. Psalm 139, 16 says, All the days planned for me were written in your book before I was one 
day old. Isn't that a beautiful verse? That's Psalm 139, 16. All the days planned for me were written in your book before I was one day old. God knows you. He created you. He literally wove you together in your mother's womb. He made you. He knows you. He knows your name. He knows where you live. He knows who you are. And he knows your pain. He knows your suffering. And his promise is always the same. Listen, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Jeremiah 29, 11, a verse many of you know well. I have good plans for you, not plans to hurt you. I will give you hope and a good future. God has his hands all over you and all over your future. And if you take his hand and follow him, no fear living is possible. And he will work all things out for your good. God knows what he's doing. Now, you say, well, but all these things are not good. No, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible doesn't say that God makes all things good. He makes all things to be good. In other words, Even bad things, God says, I promise I will make good. Even hard things, I promise I will make something good out of it. It's the premise, the principle, what we call the 50-20 principle, and many of you know this, from Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. Uh, uh, Joseph had been betrayed by his family. He was holding all all the wealth of Egypt, and his brothers and his father came to see him to beg some some grain and and they didn't know what was going on they didn't recognize him as their brother and finally he said to them he told them the story and they were amazed that this was joseph and joseph said this to these and i he said i know that you intended what you did for evil but god intended it for good you did something evil god doesn't do evil things but when men and women do evil things to each other god says i promise you that i will make something good come out of that No fear living is possible. Romans 8, 28, you know it well. We know in everything God works for the good of those who love him. It doesn't say all things are good. It says that God uses even the bad for some good purpose if we love and follow him. Psalm 34, 18, God is near the brokenhearted. And so we have to ask this question because you're asking it in your own minds. What about my future? When we ask that, we're really asking about the questions of the night. Questions like this, where was God at 9-11? Where was God when that terrible man took that sword and beheaded an American or a Brit? Where was God when Tyler was killed? Where was God in Cindy and Mike and Trey's deaths a year ago? Where is he? We can't see him. We can't feel him. Where is he? The Bible is clear on this. That in whatever you're experiencing, whatever pain you're facing, God says, I am always right there with you. I'm in the middle of your pain, of every dying soul, of every family member, every life in crisis, I am there. Whispering grace, hope and truth and love. The Bible says that God himself, this is really amazing, God himself enters into your suffering. Let me tell you what that means. He enters into every pain you've experienced, 
into every circumstance. In fact, the Bible says that he bore or took on himself the pain of every sin, every tragedy, every tear. Isaiah 53, 4 says, Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. That word carried in the Hebrew, it means literally he ate them. He ate our sorrows. Consider every single pain and sin and broken heart that you've experienced, all rolled up into a ball, eaten by God, fully tasted and digested eternally. God knows your pain. He's in the middle of your pain, and he is always in the middle of your future. God's response to our suffering, his tears. One of the great insights into the heart of Jesus was when he was told that his really close friend Lazarus, he was very close to Lazarus and Martha and Mary, two sisters and a brother. They lived in Bethany, and uh, he was very close to them. And when he heard that Lazarus was gone, after a couple of days he had to finish up some business, he went back and he went there. And when he saw that his friend was dead, the Bible says that Jesus wept. That's all it says, simple verse. Jesus wept. He knows what it feels like to have pain. He knows what it feels like to lose someone. He knows what it feels like to be brokenhearted. In the Old Testament, when Job was kind of squawking at God for all the terrible things that had happened to him, he lost his family, he lost his fortune, he lost everything. And in all of that, he looks up to God and finally hears what he declares. He said, I know that my Redeemer lives. In spite of losing everything on this planet, everything that matters to him, he looks up to the sky and he said, Lord, I know that my Redeemer lives. That is putting our faith and our future in God's hands. When I was uh, 37 years old, uh, my father died. Uh, he was 56. And... Um, I remember those last days, he died of lung cancer. And this was back when we were serving a church in San Diego. And I remember those last days spending a lot of time with him and it's, it just worked out. My mom was doing something else that my dad and I were together. And I remember so clearly um, asking him questions that I really wanted answers for myself. I said, Dad, are, are you afraid? Well, he said, um, I mean, anytime you use the C word, you know, cancer, you know, that puts a, a you know, it puts a hum in your soul. He said, I, I don't like this. I, I hate this pain that I've gone through, but no, I'm not afraid about death, if that's what you're asking, Dwayne. I said, well, I, I'm kind of asking that, but I'm, I'm also asking another question. I said, I used to call him Pop. I said, Pop, do you, do you feel alone? He said, well, um, I mean, I'm here in the room by myself quite a bit. Your mom's always with me, of course. But in uh, these last couple of years, I haven't been working, and so I haven't been doing the things I normally do. And yeah, I'm kind of lonely about the, my life that I used to live and all of that. But he said, here's one thing I learned when I was a little boy. He said, Dwayne, I'm never alone. God is always with me. He's with me right now. And one of these days, and it happened the following day, one of these days, I'm not going to wake up. But when I do wake up, I will be in the arms of Jesus. And one of the neat things about the Bible is that it talks about death 
as sleep. It says somebody, so-and-so went to sleep, and they meant that there was death. Do you, do you know why that phrase is used so often, they went to sleep? Because they're going to wake up. They're going to wake up. Death isn't the end. That's not the last thing. That's not the final adventure. That's not the, the last thing that you're going to experience. You will wake up. And if you're a Christ follower, if you've put your heart and your trust in your love in Jesus, you're going to wake up and you're going to look in the eyes of Jesus. My dad said, I'm not afraid to die. So let me ask you as we begin this series on fear, what is it that you're really afraid of? What is it that causes you to stop, to clench, to, 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 to breathe faster? What, what is it that makes you really fearful about the future? Because here you can depend on this. God's promise is always the same. I will never, ever leave you nor forsake you. When you know that, when you feel that in your bones, when you embrace that, when you know that God is alive in you, Every day that you live is a day of adventure because God knows your future. So here's the question that we close with today. What is there to be afraid of? Would you bow your heads with me? Father, when we talk about this subject of fear, um, things just kind of flash through our minds. Uh, we see the news, uh, we see the conversations we've had, the people we talk to, the, the anxiety that we feel about the future, our finances, our marriages, our kids, all of those things, Lord, they just kind of flash in front of us. But Father, would you help us to see a different picture? Would you help us to see a picture of Jesus with his arms extended toward us, with compassion and peace in his eyes, perhaps even a tear on his face because he knows the pain that we're feeling. He feels it with us. He has eaten that pain. Lord, would we know what his love is like in that moment. Lord, as we embark on this journey of facing our fears, my prayer for our congregation is this, that they will know beyond a shadow of a doubt that no matter what happens, no matter what circumstances they find themselves in, they will know this truth. I will never leave you nor forsake you. It's the words of Jesus. It was the words of God. It is the truth for us today. I will never leave you nor forsake you. What is there to fear? Father, thank you for those here this morning that you touch their hearts. And Lord, my prayer this morning is that each and every one of us would face our fears knowing that you will never leave us alone. For we pray these things in the precious name of Jesus. And all of God's people together said, amen.